Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you can, please turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. When you're ready, say, I got it. Got it? <laughs> okay. Here now are the words of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to surgeon in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. There were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moab, Moabite wives. The names of one of them was Oprah, Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there then 10 years, and both Malone and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord was visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on to wait to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, and they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and, and there will I be buried. May the Lord... Do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts from you, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her daughter, she said no more. So the two of them went out until they became to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because, and the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Myra, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of 
barely harvest the very words of God. Well, let's get into the Word of God this morning. We're going to be back in Ruth, and we're starting in chapter 1. Thank you, Ashley, for reading the Word of God this morning. So if you didn't open your Bible yet, go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 1 as we're walking through it this morning. Well, again, last week we started this series in Ruth called Hope and Redemption. So we're walking through this narrative, a narrative that I've come to love. It's so many different things in the book of Ruth that God speaks to us through the caricatures of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi all throughout this text. So it's very rich. Read it. Take it all in. But what we did last week is we just kind of, we laid the groundwork, if you want to say, for the whole book of Ruth. I, I, I laid out a road map for you to show where we're going in this whole book. So, so if you missed it, go back and read or listen to it uh, online or on our podcast. But just a little recap with where we're going today. We introduced one of the main themes of the book, which is redemption. Everybody say redemption. Redemption is one of the main themes in the book. You can see redemption or the word redeemer mentioned at least 23 times in the book. And like I said last week, if you were able to look it up in your dictionary at any point in time, you would see a definition that reads something like this. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment or clearing a debt. See, this is simply, in its, in its simplest terms, the gospel. It's that God being rich in mercy, sees his wayward creation, that's me and you going out of his way, he sends his son to die the debt or to pay the debt that we should have died. It's, it's the death on the cross. Jesus comes down, he dies the death that we should have died. That, that's what we should have done because of us rebelling against God. You ask why? Because the wages of sin is death, which means that somebody had to pay it. Somebody had to pay for that. Somebody had to pay that debt. And it only could be the unblemished, holy Lamb of God, the one who had never sinned. I, I, I don't know anybody else that has never sinned. It's not me, surely, it, and I don't know about you, but, it, but the only person I know that's lived a sinless life is Jesus. So Jesus steps out of heaven and he pays our debt by dying on the cross. It's the gospel. He paid our debt for those who believe. He paid your debt. So again, last week we pondered that idea of redemption a bit more as we walked through this book and we began to look at this narrative and noticing in the beginning, you see right off the back that Naomi, Naomi has lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, and now she's left with her two Moabite daughter-in-laws, women that serve a different God. But now she's left with them. She has literally nothing. Orpah leaves and then Ruth sticks and stays. And that's what I want to preach on this morning, okay? This is the topic I want to preach on. Are you sticky? Are you sticky? Touch your neighbor and ask them, are you sticky? Some of y'all might be sticky because it's hot in here, but are, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you sticky? Are you sticky? Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your word, God. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up. Decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, let your folks hear a word from you. Not me, God. We thank you for your goodness, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Well, anybody in here ever worn a Band-Aid before? <clears throat> it's not a trick question. Everybody's worn a Band-Aid before, right? 
Everybody's worn a Band-Aid. I mean, Band-Aids are meant to cover up sores or scratches or burns or something on your skin so that they won't get irritated and become infected. You know, some of us think that they actually heal us. No, they don't actually heal you. They cover up the sore. Unless it's some type of bandage that's meant to cover up your, your wound or, or pull back your ligaments or some kind of cast of some sort. But they don't actually heal you. They keep you from getting infected. See, Band-Aids, they normally come with one side that's very sticky, that adheres to your skin, and the other side, it either looks like the color of your skin, or if you're like my kids, you like the design on your Band-Aid. It's whatever you want. But one thing we know about Band-Aids is that over time, all Band-Aids, no matter how long you have them on you, eventually, it loses its stickiness and does what? It falls off. It comes off. Band-Aids lose their stickiness. Some of them are cheap and they only last one day. Some of them are more expensive and they may last all week. It depends on what type of Band-Aids you like and what your pocketbook affords you to buy a Band-Aid. See, but one way or another, the Band-Aid with enough activity, whether that's sports or a number of showers, no matter the circumstances, one day that Band-Aid is going to lose its stickiness and it will fall off. In the simplest terms, it's just not sticky anymore. And family, I know you're sitting there asking a question, why in the world are we talking about Band-Aids? I'm glad you asked. The reason we're talking about Band-Aids is because I believe we're living in a Band-Aid generation. Follow me with this. People have simply lost their stickiness. I mentioned it last week where I was talking about Naomi and Ruth and the fact that Ruth sticks and stays. Y'all, we don't stick and stay with things. When a job gets too hard, we don't want to work through the trials and try to figure out what's going on and ask the questions, maybe even go talk to our boss because it's too difficult. No, 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 no. We would rather sit at home on our mama's couch soaking, talking about, I don't have any money, rather than working the job that we don't like. I mean, when an issue arises in a relationship, we don't talk about it. We don't communicate with one another. No, we just leave. And is there any wonder that marriages are ended in more than 50% divorce? We just leave. We don't want to do things that we feel won't benefit us. And see, therein lies the problem. If it doesn't benefit us, we don't want to do it. And here's the bigger problem with that, because here, here's the truth. Here's the funny part, is that even though it won't benefit us, we'll enter into it appearing to be sticky. We'll, we'll enter into marriages, we'll enter into jobs, we'll enter into relationships, friendships, dare I say churches, and appear just like the brand new Band-Aid with all of its stickiness. But when tensions arise, when problems start happening, or when something goes the way that you don't like it, what happens? Our, our stickiness magically just wears off. Family, we've lost our stickiness. And don't get what I'm saying twisted and say, Pastor D is preaching and saying, I'm, I'm supposed to stay in harmful or hurtful situations. That's not what I'm saying. There's a big difference between something being hard and something being harmful. There's a big difference there. And, and here's the real problem with all of this, with our stickiness. We lack stickiness when it comes to God. We may come to church we may even tithe for a period of time. We may read our Bible, but when things get hard, we begin to say, 
I tried that God thing. I tried church, but I'm leaving now. I'm done. And the worst part about it, hear me, I, I may be coming to somebody's neighborhood. Some of them may be uneasy in here. Here's the thing. The loss of stickiness, what happens is we begin to attribute it not to ourselves, but to God. It's God's fault that these things are happening. It's God's fault that I'm leaving. I mean, it, it's sort of crazy because there's this narcissist part of us or this self-consumed mentality that, that prohibits us from seeing our own issues. And instead, we say, I can't be the problem. But it has to be somebody else. It, it has to be God's problem. It's God's fault. We say it's his fault. And we begin to believe that God is the cause of our problems, just like Naomi in this text. And begin to say, he in essence has lost his stickiness towards me. He's left me. When in all in, actu in actuality, God has not left you. You actually left God. Big difference. So family, as we walk through this passage today, I, I want you to ask yourself, am I a sticky person? Am I a sticky person? Is that me? Today I have two points, two points. Write them down if you got a pen and paper. Number one, the kindness and stickiness of a redeemer. The kindness and the stickiness of a redeemer. And number two, the providence of God, the providence of God, amen? As we look at this passage, right off the bat, you see with Naomi, because of her circumstances and the things that are happening around her, she simply loses her stickiness. But Ruth doesn't, she sticks and she stays. So again, as we jump into this, let me set the stage a bit and help us pick up where we left off last week. Naomi and Elimelech, have left Bethlehem, the city of bread. They left the city of bread. It's kind of funny because there was no bread. It's a famine happening in the land, so they left the land and they went away. Elimelech leaves what he knows and where he's known God to provide time and time again. Over and over, he's been there for him, but he leaves this place and he goes to a, a, another place where he thinks he'll find prosperity, but instead he finds death. He leaves where he knows God has provided and goes to an enemy's territory who, 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 who worships a different God and he finds death. He dies. And see, the thing about this that, you did, that I didn't mention last week is that Elimelech and, 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 and Naomi had two sons, right? They had two sons, but one of them was named Malon. And back in antiquity, when people named their child, they didn't just do it just because they liked the name. They named their kids something because it meant something. So when they named their son Malon, what Malon means is sick, sick or weak. So what this means is that he was either born with some debilitating disease or somewhere along the line he came down with something and they changed his name to Malon. So what you see here happening is that she doesn't just lose her husband, but she's stuck with a sick son. And there's nothing worse than a parent sitting next to the bed with their, 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 their kid that's dying, their kid that's suffering before they suffer. There's nothing worse than being in a hospital room with your sick, your sick daughter or your sick son. This is not right. It doesn't feel right. She's left with two sons, one that's sick that she has to take care of for the rest of his life and one that's okay. And then if that's not enough, these sons go off and they marry Moabite women who worship someone else. 
They're enemies of the Israelites. They go off and they, and they marry these women. And then they die too. Now she's left with two Moabite daughters that have really nothing in common with her other than the dead or deceased husbands. They're at the bottom of the barrel, emphasis on bottom of the barrel, because what you don't know about this is when it says that they're Jewish Ephrathites, that's not talking about their race. Their race was that they were Jewish. But when it says Ephrathites, that means that, that's talking about their class. See, Naomi was top shelf. She was known. See, they're kind of like the Kennedys or the Rockefellers of their time. They had money. They had all that you could ask for as Jewish folk. They were the cream of the crop. But now they're at the bottom. She has lost everything, her husband, two sons, her status, her land. She has nothing. Family, you ever been at that place at the bottom where you feel like you lost everything? Feel like there's no way out of it? It's just tough. You feel like you never get back to where you once were in life. Like Naomi, you, you ever been there before? You ever felt that pain before? She literally has tasted the best that life has to offer, but now she's sitting at the bottom of the barrel. This lets us know, hear me when I say this, that anybody can suffer pain. Anybody can suffer heartache. No matter how hard you work to not have heartache in your life or pain in your life, anybody can suffer. Hear me, pain has no prejudice. Anybody can hit the bottom. So hear me, here's a word for somebody in here, hear me. Don't put your stake or your crux in anything other than Jesus. I got one clap. Everything else will fail you. It'll be here one day and gone the next. People, places, and things will fail you. Be careful what you, what you center your life around. Or as my pastor, he likes to say it this way. He says, he, he says be careful not to put your identity or lean your identity on anything outside of Jesus because God will come and get it. He'll come and get it. Naomi has lost everything, which brings us to where we are here in this text. She's broken, she's torn up in the fact that, that she, and then she tells her daughters, she says, look, y'all go on back home. I don't have anything for you. It's going to be better for you there. You can have a family. You're going to have everything you need. Go back to where you started. Orpah listens to her, she kisses her on the cheek, and she goes her own way. But Ruth's like, no, 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 I'm staying here. And she clings to her mother-in-law. She clings to her. In fact, Ruth's name means to cling. She clings, she holds on tight. She gives us a literal picture of God's kindness and stickiness toward us here, right here in chapter one, which makes no sense. Because family, she would have had a better life if she left Naomi and went back home, but she stays. She chooses to stay and be kind to Naomi in the midst of her mess, which really is no benefit to her. That's stickiness. This brings us to our first point, which is the kindness and stickiness of a redeemer. Because here's the thing, it's really easy to be like a Limelech. See calamity, things you don't like, and then just run the other way. Or to be like Naomi, and in the aftermath of calamity, turn against everything you know, and be like, God's the reason for all my problems. It's, it's, it's easy to be that way, 
You see, the reason I believe someone can get here or they get to this place is because, hear me, they never knew or really believed in the kindness or the stickiness of their true Redeemer in the first place. They didn't really believe. I mean, look at what Ruth says. This is someone who does not believe in the same God. Look at what she says in verses 16 through 17. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Look at these words, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also of anything, but death parts me from you. Look at those words. Don't just skip over these words that she, that she reads. They're powerful. This is the thesis statement of the book that Ruth proclaims right here. She displays unmerited kindness toward Naomi. She said, don't tell me to leave. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here with you. Wherever you stay, I'm going to stay. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. And if that's not enough, she makes a new profession of faith. She says, your God will be my God. Y'all, that's stickiness. She says, nothing will take me away from you. And see, here's the significant thing for the believer in this room. Don't miss this, what I'm saying here, is because just what Ruth says, God says throughout the whole of Scripture. It's a central covenant with those who believe, with his people. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But again, we either don't know this truth, or we don't believe it, which is why we're so flippant with God. So let's take a trip through the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 through 8 with, with me. This is where he, he looks at he tells Abraham, he's sending him out. Look at this. He, he says this at the beginning. He says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after you throughout your generations for everlasting covenant to be God to you. Y'all see it? And to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan and everlasting possession. And I will be what? I will be their God. You see it? He, he's not just talking to Abraham. He's talking about generations that will follow him. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. But, but that's not enough, right? That's Genesis. That's the beginning of the Bible. So let's keep going. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. When he's sending Moses out, he says these words to him. He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You see it? He says, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the burdens, under the burdens of the Egyptians. See that? He's saying it again. But I know that's not enough either, so let's keep going. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. He says this when he's sharing provision for the people when they're under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he says this. He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the what? I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. He says it again at Jeremiah that I am the Lord, I am their God, and they will be my people. But I know that's not enough either, so let's flip to the New Testament because that's the Old Testament. Let's look at Hebrews 13, chapter, verse 5. He says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the same word, just written differently. I am your God. I'm not leaving you. I'm with you. But that's not enough either. Let's flip to the end of the Bible. Revelation 21 verse 7. He says these words. The one who conquers will have the heritage. He's talking about the new earth and the heaven that he's creating. The one that conquers will have this heritage and I will be his what? 
I will be his God and he will be my son. Y'all, this is the same God throughout the whole of Scripture saying the same thing that Ruth is saying in the Word of God today, trying to relate to his people, listen to me, that he will never break his covenant and he will never leave them nor forsake him. That's the same God. You see, and here, here, here is why this is very important to the believer in here. This is why this is very important because here, here, hell can seemingly be breaking loose in your life where everything around you is seeming hard. But when we read the scriptures, the whole of scripture, the God that we believe in has shown himself proven since the beginning of time and says that I will be there throughout the ages. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never change. I'm not against you, but I'm for you. So all we got to do is hold on. Hold on to faith in Jesus. Hold on to him. Hold on to the cross. That's all we have to do if we believe. Family, we that believe are still his children. He's still our father. So church, I, I know it's hard to live in this world where things seemingly get worse every day. It's hard to look around in situations and you see murders all over the city of Chicago. You see politics that you don't like. You see all these things. But God is telling us that believe he's still here and he will always be. He's not leaving. He's sticky till the end. The question we must answer is are we going to be sticky too? But some of us just missed it. I know you missed what I was saying, even when we walked through all the scriptures, so let me put it this way. My father used to have this dog that he loved. Any dog lovers in the room? Go ahead and be honest, y'all like dogs in here. We, this Chicago, this West Town, we like dogs. And, 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 and he had this dog, and I never understood why people called dogs a man's best friend until I met this dog named Hotep. Hotep was this humongous, massive dog. German Shepherd, and when he stood on his hind legs, he was probably about six foot six. Big old dog, 170 pounds, looked like a horse. I mean, he was a big dog. So if, if people saw him walking down the street, they literally just crossed over blocks ahead like, I don't want to walk by him. Dogs walked across the street when they saw Hotep walking. But Hotep was very protective to the ones that protected him or cared for him. If you cared for him, he was like the best friend you could actually have. I loved my dog, Hotep. I mean, he was so obedient that even with his massive size, you didn't have to. I never walked him with a leash. He walked down the street with me. If I told him to stop, he stopped. If I told him to walk slow, he'd slow on down. If I told him to sit, he'd sit. If a dog walked up in front of him and was taunting him, Hotep would just growl. And until I said, watch him, if I said, watch him, it was over for that dog but he stayed there until I told him to do anything. But that's not why I found out a dog is a man best, man's best friend. Hotep was a dog that was around when my dad was at his lowest. My mother and him had just got a divorce and he was living in his mother's house who had just passed away. All his kids had moved to Indianapolis at this time and he was having trouble finding a job. He was at his lowest point. But family, don't you know, no matter how hard it got, no matter how low it was, Hotep was still there. And my father, at times, I would come over and watch him, and I would see him sitting on the couch with his head in his lap, and Hotep would just walk. It's like he knew what was going on. Would walk up and just bury his big old head in my father's lap. You see, don't miss it. No matter the circumstances, no matter what was really going on, Hotep never left. 
he remained kind. He remained sticky no matter what the situation was. Don't miss it. He remained kind and sticky. Some of y'all just missed it. Family, I need y'all to hear me. We that believe need to understand that we serve a God who is loyal, who's loyal, who understands what we're going through. And even at our lowest points, he does not leave us. He's there. I mean, hear me. We have a God, we serve a God who, who steps out of heaven. Jesus steps out of heaven, comes down here in the form of man. He doesn't just die on a cross, but he walks among us. He goes through the things that we go through. He feels what we feel. He knows what it's like to have a bad day or your friends turning your back. In fact, one of the ones that were closest to him betrayed him, kissed him on the cheek, and that's what caused them to know who Jesus was. That's how he got killed. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one and weep and be sad. Jesus knows what we're going through on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't know about you, but that should make your heart glad this morning that you have a Savior or serve someone who doesn't just die for you, but knows what you're going to on a day-to-day on on -day -day basis. That should bring joy to you. You see, you, you, know, you, serve a, you serve Jesus who's not Ruth or, or a dog who's just going to be there. No, he's with us. He knows what we're going through. He's for us, and he's not against us. Amen. You see, Ruth in this text is just showing us a type of Christ by staying by Naomi's side. She's doing what Christ has done for us. Let me think about it. She could have had a better life, some kids. She could have been eating the full meals, but instead she stays right here in a messed up situation, helps provide and shows the kindness that Christ has shown towards us. That's, that, that's the kindness and stickiness of a redeemer. That's it right there. But see, the problem with us seeing this is the same problem Naomi has. Is that the problem with us being sticky or staying sticky is that we don't necessarily see the provision of God in Christ. We, we don't actually see that provision in Christ's work on our behalf. It, one, because we don't really believe it. And then two, if that's not it, it's not what we really want to see in our lives. I mean, it, be honest, it, it's cool to know that Christ died on the cross for me. It's really great to know that. But I love that, that Jesus died for me. But when stuff is happening around me, when stuff is going crazy in my life, when circumstances are hard, when I can't pay my bill, when my friend left me, when that stuff happens in my life, y'all, I'm like, cool, Jesus, this is great, but I need you to fix this. See, all this stuff that's happening in our life, see, what happens is we get wrapped up in our own little realities that it becomes hard to grasp or trust the fact that the Lord is there with us. He is the Lord who holds all things under his feet. It's hard to trust that. And hear me. Here's the truth. If God can send his son Jesus out of heaven to come down here, dwell among us, but then die the death that we should have died, then raised from the grave three days later. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who's resurrected from the grave. I think it's similarly impossible unless you're Jesus. I don't know anybody else. So if that's true, which I believe it to be, I believe all the scripture to be true. If that's true, I believe it. Then guess what? He can take care of our little old problems. He can take care of what we're going through. He's there with you. There's nothing too big that he can't handle. See, many of us, we're like Naomi, and we miss the kindness 
and the loyalty that, that is being displayed by Ruth here in the text or by God in our lives because we're overwhelmed with what's happening in front of us or around us. Look, she doesn't even see God's provision right in front of her. Ruth, she's sitting right here. And friends, the provision of God, here it is, the provision for us, it, it, the, the problem too with the provision of God is that we live in a society where we have to simply believe it. We got to see it to believe it. If we don't see it, we don't really believe it. And the truth of the matter is that most of the time, God's provision works the opposite way. You believe it and maybe you'll see it. And most of the time, when he does provide, it doesn't happen in the way you think it should happen or the way you like it or in the timing that you want. That's the province of God. So this last point, as we're getting ready to end in a few minutes, this is what I want to, I want to talk about the providence of God. Say the providence of God. You see, one of the common things throughout the book of Ruth that this text introduces us to is the providence of God. It's the understanding that God has a way of working things out for his good and for those who he loves in his timing, not your timing, but in his timing. See, the problem with this is that it doesn't always come out the way we like it to come out. See, the whole book of Ruth speaks to the problems of God. This is one of the main themes. And the need for a redeemer. We just walk through the whole Bible, all of Scripture, looking at how God has been there from the beginning. But we also looked at how Elimelech right here, in the midst of a famine, you see this. You see all these problems in their life. You see everything happen in this. You see all this emptiness in chapter 1. You see a family. You see Elimelech dying. You see, lastly, his two sons dying. This leaves Naomi in a place where she's, it, it, she's broken. It's hard for her to trust anybody. It's hard for her to trust God. And when Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And then you read verse 21. What does she do again? She blames everything on the Lord. She says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She's blaming everything on the Lord. She says, I went away full. She's talking about her status. She's talking about her family. She said, I had it all, and now I come back to emptiness. No husband, no sons, no grandkids, no land, no nothing, no status. I don't have anything. Again, she blames it all on the Lord. She has no idea what God is up to behind the scenes. See, friends, the truth of the matter is that God sometimes allows bad things or hard things to happen to us in our lives. And it's commonly misconceived as God being out to get us or that God is against us. When the truth of the matter is, he is not necessarily the cause of the things that are happening in your life. See, most of the time, it's because of us going our own way and he allows those things to happen to us. I mean, think about this text. Famines only happen when people turn away from God. The famine comes because they turned away from God. Elimelech goes to an enemy's territory and dies, and so do his kids. But only after they left the place that God has provided for them, Bethlehem. The first time of trouble, they leave and they go someplace else. And then they intermarry with the enemies, people who don't believe what they believe. The text doesn't say that God 
caused all this calamity in their lives, but he definitely allowed it. He's God. He could have stopped it if he wanted to. But here's the truth. God didn't create you and me as robots. He didn't make us robots, which means that we just, we just do what he says to. Like, no, 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 that's not what he did. God created you and me in his image, which means that we have minds, we have intellects to think, to create and cultivate, to make things better. We're not just here to do what he says do. Yes, he wants us to be obedient, but it's not as a robotic, in, in a robotic way. And so, so, so sometimes he just allows us to go our own way and experience hard things, hoping that in turn we'll come back to him, knowing that we really need him. See, sometimes we just got to go through some hard things in our lives to see that we need the, God, we need the Lord. This is the whole point of chapter 1. All of these things happen in Naomi, not so that she can see that God is against her, that God is out to get her, but so that she can turn back to him. And why do I, when I say turn back to him, this is what I mean, because you're probably like, where did they turn away? Well, they, to up and leave Bethlehem as quick as they did, without praying or anything, y'all, their hearts were already turned against God in the first place. They didn't pray, they didn't do anything. God didn't tell them to leave. They left. Family, God knows our hearts. He knows what's going on behind those inner walls of our chest. He, he knows what's there. And usually when stuff like this happens, when this happens to us or, or he lets us go our own way, it's because, first off, let's be honest, our hearts were never geared towards him in the first place. We didn't really believe. And that's why we need to check our hearts and our motivations towards God. Family, how's your heart this morning? Is it motivated towards God? Is it, is it motivated towards honoring him and living a life that's worthy to be called his son and da daughter? I mean, how's your heart this morning? See, the thing about this, though, that, my, that boggles my mind about God is that although our hearts can be so inclined towards evil or things that are not of God. And he knows that, y'all. And we might have to go through some hard things. We might have to experience some losses in our life. We might even turn away from him. You know what? He never leaves. He's still there. He never leaves. You see, his provision still works in the believer's favor and for his good which is what, what we'll get to in the next few chapters. But, but hear me, the provision of God extends far beyond what we can see or ever begin to imagine for ourselves. Friends, God is always working behind the scenes. And hear me, contrary to your belief, he's not plotting your downfall. Let me say it again. He's not plotting your downfall. So believe in here. Although things are hard right now, they may be tough, you may be really going through it, don't you believe for one second that God is against you. Don't believe for one second that he's forsaken you. We just walked through the whole of Scripture pointing out how God has been the same since the beginning all the way to the end. He says, I am the Lord your God and you will be my people. Don't you believe 
that he's left you. But if you read intently throughout the whole Bible when he's saying this, all the people, they repeatedly bumped their heads. They repeatedly turned against him. But guess what? God never left. He stayed there the whole time. He was always working behind the scenes for their good. He remained kind. He remained sticky. The question is, will we continue to trust God when things go awry in our lives? And for the person that's, that, that's struggling for the, with their faith right now, will you begin to trust Jesus? Because here's the thing, and it's really easy to miss in this text. It's really easy to miss the provision of God. But look at verse 22 with me. It says, so Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the what? Of the barley harvest. Don't miss it. You see, what, what we fail to see and what Naomi fails to see is that God had a plan. He had a plan to bring his people back to him. The people turned away from him, and God let them go. Hence Elimelech leaving. I'm good, God. I'm going someplace else that seems better than, than what you got for me. And as a result, what happens is that he experience, they experience heartache. Elimelech dies. The two sons die. Then they return back home to what? A harvest. And, and here's the thing. Elimelech and his sons, they don't get to experience this. But Ruth the Moabite hints the word Moabite, a woman that's foreign, does. Don't miss this. See, this is a side note. Stick it in your pocket. Take it home with you. Use it however you may. See, see, Elimelech going away was still in God's plan. Don't miss it. God brought Ruth the Moabite back, a woman who served a different God, who comes back, ends up serving him, and she gets to experience the barley harvest. Hence the fact that God's kindness, him being a redeemer, is not just for a certain people group. It's not just for the Israelites, it's not just for black, it's not just for white, it's for all people. Hence the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. We just got to believe. But don't miss this. The broader point is that Elimelech, he didn't stick with God. He left because of his circumstances. And actually made it worse. Naomi is stuck looking at everything happening around her. She doesn't even realize the significance of Ruth sticking with her. And she misses the significance of the barley harvest. She thinks the Lord is out to get her. She thinks he was against her. And he's brought her back to emptiness not realizing her heart was never really with God in the first place. Because if it was, she would have never left Bethlehem. They would have never went anywhere else. Family, I need you guys to hear me as we're ending the day. God doesn't always work in the ways we see. Hence all the calamity, all the mess that's happening around us. He may be allowing it to happen, but he's not to blame for it. It's not him. He may be testing you, but he's not to blame for all of these things. He's allowing these things to happen to bring you back to him. And hear me, running away from the problems and the things in your life, like Elimelech, that's not, that's not going to solve it either. You see in his story, it just makes things worse. 
Sometimes the best answer is to stick and to stay faithful with what God is doing in your life right now. Trust his timing. Trust his work. Family, as we end, I have one question for you. I got one question I need to ask you, and it's the same one I started with. Are you sticky? Are you sticky? And again, I'm not telling you to stay in some harmful situation, some hurtful situation. Sometimes you have to leave. But Elimelech's situation, there's nothing harmful about this. It just got hard for him, and my man just leaves. So what I'm asking you is, when things get hard or don't go the way you want them to, do you tuck tail and run or do you stick and stay? In other, in other words, do you really believe? Because hear me, God, he's proven himself. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is for us that believe, and he's not against us. The question is, are we for him? Are we for him? Do you remain sticky no matter the circumstances? Or are you like a Band-Aid that appears sticky in the beginning, but when circumstances arise, when things go crazy in your life, does your stickiness wear off and you leave? Friends, hear me. The Lord may be up to something in your life that you cannot see. You cannot begin to imagine for yourself. And you just need to stay. You just need to be sticky and stay there. You need to stay with God. And see, the great thing about staying stuck to God, hear me when I say this, the great thing about staying stuck to God is that you're staying stuck to one who never changes his, his disposition. He never changes who he is. He's the same God from the beginning to the end because he loves you. He says, I am the Lord. And you're my people. Family, will you just trust Jesus this morning and stay sticky? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. You're a good God. We thank you for staying stuck to us, God, even when we don't stay stuck to you. Lord, I pray that you forgive us our trespasses, you forgive us our sins, you forgive us the ways that we turned against you and rebelled against you, God. You know we're wayward, which is why you sent your son. So God, in that I pray, as your grace extends and you give us good gifts and your mercy extends, God, and you don't give us what we deserve, Lord, you are a good God. I pray, Lord, that we would stay with you, that we would turn to you if we have never turned to you, but we'd always remember your sacrifice. You're a good God who gave up everything for people that had nothing to give in return, just like Ruth did with Naomi. So, Father, let us never forget that, and let us stay stuck to you. In Christ's name, amen.